Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on, it was... It was thundering earlier. Oh my gosh, you guys missed that. The room was shaking. I don't know what was happening. If you don't, can't tell right now, I have the nervous sweats. So I'm definitely nervous. There's no big, which is different than the meat sweats. I also get the meat sweats. So if you ever want to invite me out to eat, that's automatic yes. No, no big deal. We have, I'm excited, Somerset ice cream today, which is also, this is triple good things because the, uh, if you... If you go there, there's probably a sign on a door at this point. They don't even let me in anymore. They're like, Johnny, dude, just take it easy, man. Come back next week, settle down, come back in a little bit. So, but they don't know, unless you're watching, they don't know that I'm going to eat some Somerset today. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to speak. I only have like 12 and a half minutes, so I'm going to try to get this going. They're like, Johnny speaking, let's, let's, let's make it short. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's probably a good idea. No. I'm down with you, but I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that we got to have some awesome students come onto the stage today. I've been overseeing our, our youth, our middle school through high school students now for about, I would, you probably know better than I do, four or five months, something about that, and our students are amazing. We have a great youth department. I would invite you, if you're in middle school and high school, you, you have those, and bring them out. We have a huge event this Tuesday night as well. But we've seen God do some awesome things, and our leaders are phenomenal, and this summer has been phenomenal. But if you ever step in to the loft, which is right up here on a Tuesday night, you will hear something along this line every single Tuesday. We don't shy away from it. We aren't shy about it. We will preach this thing till the cows come home every single Tuesday night. You will hear something along the lines of that our students, and it's not just for our students, it is for us this morning that we have a purpose. That you will hear me say that a lot, that you have a purpose. That you've been built by design. God crafted you for your specific calling. He wired you for your work. That when God made you, he didn't just make you, he made you with purpose in mind. That you have a purpose. That your parents may have been surprised by your arrival, but God was not. And I could say that with confidence because I eavesdropped on a conversation between God and a gentleman named Jeremiah. And in that conversation, God said, I formed you, that you were formed and you have a purpose. And every single Tuesday, we will preach that to our students. And the thing that I love about our students and the thing that I love about God, because I know my mess ups and I know my mistakes and I know my questions is that I have a good heavenly father. And when I give my heavenly father my hurts and when I give my heavenly father my pains and when I give him my questions and when I give him my doubts, he is always faithful to give me something better in return. And I always bet on God. And I have, you'll see him afterwards, you'll hear him too. I have a little three-year-old and his name is Rocky and Rocky's at the stage now. Maybe we are a little late on the potty trading stage, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not, who knows? But Rocky right now is in the potty training stage. And like at this point in life, when he's home, he is always just, 
He's natural, all natural. He's just natural, living, he's living his best life at the house right now. And he just goes around just living his best life. But we're trying to potty train him and get that in our way. We're like rock, like holding the potty, like trying to make sure he doesn't miss. It's going, it's, it's going, okay, it's going. But he loves dinosaurs. Rocky is obsessed with dinosaurs. He knows these dinosaurs by their names. I'll get the book, I'll point them out, and he's, he knows their names. He has a lisp, Stegosaurus, T-Rex, Triceratops, and he, he knows them more than I do, and he'll tell me, he's teaching me about these dinosaurs, and this is a true story. Yesterday, he's got like 13, I don't even, just all natural, 13 dinosaurs in his hand, and he's running around the house, and I'm like, listen, it's almost lunchtime, Rocky, and as his father, I know what he needs more than he does. As his father, I know that it's time for him to eat. He wants the dinosaurs, and I'm saying, listen, as your father, I know what you need better than you do, and for me to give you what you need, what you first have to do is give me what you have. And as I become a father, these stories about my good heavenly father become more and more relevant in my life, that God is faithful and just, and he wants to give us better, but we have to give him what's in our hands to free ourselves up to be ready for what he has for us. And maybe Maybe this is just my story. Maybe I can't say what happens with everybody else. Maybe I can only speak on myself and how God has transformed my life, how I encountered Jesus and life change happened. But I know in my spirit, if you give Jesus a chance that I'm not trying to convince you of anything this morning, I'm just inviting you to discover and come and see for yourself what the good father has for you. And I get it because there are problems within this world and some of you are just like me. And if you're like me to experience life and to experience Jesus and to be able to wake up in the morning where which I say from this stage every Sunday, not just live your life and exist, but to wake up in the morning and live your life and live it fully. What you will have to do is deal with some things that we're going to talk about this morning. And they're two very simple things, and we'll get into them in just a second, that this entire conversation that we're having really boils down to one major factor. It's me. It's you. And for some of you, it's hard because you're just like me. And it's not always easy, but that's okay. Because this morning I wanna walk through it with you and we can do this together. And what we're going to be reading is just a couple of verses within Mark chapter 6, 1 through 4. What we are reading is just three verses, and it is profound, four verses that are profound, and the weights that it, hold, that it holds can transform lives. And maybe it is just me, but within just these four short verses together, we can see and answer a question that can change the trajectory of our life. And I want to read this morning from Mark chapter 6, and this is where we're going to start here, verse 1, and it says this, that Jesus left there and went to his hometown. So he left where he was and went back to his hometown, but he didn't go by himself. It says that he was accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, which is a Jewish holy day, he began to teach in his synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. 
What's this wisdom that he has been given? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't that just the carpenter? Wait a minute. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus responded and said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could, Jesus, he could not do many miracle there, uh, miracles there. Let me read that again. He could not do many miracles there. And it says this, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And it says this, that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And if you have any church background or if you grew up in the church at all, or if not, that's okay. But together, as we open up the word of God, it seems to be at the center point of the conversation is always Jesus, that he is God and that the Old Testament points to his coming. In New Testament, we have him here on earth with us in the establishment of the local New Testament church and everything centers around Jesus. And for some of us, we are not used to hearing things that Jesus couldn't do. He's God, but Mark, Mark tells us something Jesus couldn't do. And I want us to circle around this because I think it's worth noting that Jesus couldn't override the unbelief of the people in this town that he wanted to heal. Jesus couldn't override the unbelief of the people that he wanted to serve. He couldn't override the unbelief of the people he wanted to help, but he couldn't do any miracles there except for a few. And I find that interesting because when I read the word of God, I still have questions myself. And when we started this verse, the people were amazed at Jesus. And just within a few sentences, realistically, probably just a few moments, the whole picture flipped and Jesus became amazed at the people. And the only time we see Jesus not be able to do something in the Bible and the only time we see Jesus be amazed in the Bible is in regards to faith. And here specifically, it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. Faith. The complete trust and confidence. So there was something that he, Jesus, wanted to do for the people, but he couldn't do for the people because of something that was within the people. Let me say that again. There was something he wanted to do for the people, but he couldn't do for the people because of something within the people. And I want us to camp out on this this morning. As we reflect on this idea, what does it mean to be the real you? We say that a lot on a Tuesday night. What's the We had a whole series based on be real, that God loves you and that he wants to real you, not the you you pretend to be, not the you you portray to others, not the you you wish you were. He loves you right where you are at. And we believe that every single Tuesday night. And when I'm having discussions with our students, and I have great connections now here at Cape Cod, and I have connections in Texas and Philadelphia, and when I engage in some of these connections and I'm teaching about Jesus, there's this idea, and it's totally understandable that sometimes we understand that we think Jesus was from Bethlehem, the Christmas story. I think we understand that, born in the major. And yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in a town called Nazareth. And that's where a lot of this 
story that we are talking about this morning takes place. Not where he got popular, not where he got a following, but in a little town called Nazareth. Because sometimes to be used by God, you have to leave what's been familiar to you and find yourself in the uncomfortable. And sometimes for God to get your attention, he's got to pull you away. Maybe sometimes for God to speak into you, he's got to get you out of what's been dumped onto you. So Jesus in this story is making his way back home to where he grew up. And he wasn't going back home because things weren't working out. He wasn't going back home because he needed to stay at a friend's house. Mark is very specific that he's going back home for a purpose. And Mark tells us that he's taking his disciples with him. His disciples are his homies, his followers, his 12 closest friends. And he was going back home to the town where he grew up. And Jesus is taking his disciples with him for a purpose. And he's not going home for Thanksgiving he's going home for a purpose and he finds himself back in his hometown Nazareth and he's teaching and I think at this moment as Jesus is teaching and the people are listening that something almost switches because I think Jesus starts to notice something that maybe he didn't catch quite at first as he was growing up that the people he grew up with the people who knew him maybe even some of the people who were probably closest to him rejected him. And there's something to say, church, about the people who are closest to you that reject you. There's something to say about maybe the people you want to accept you, and for one reason or not, they don't. That doesn't feel good. It hurts. It's kind of pain. Am I the only one? There's something about the pain of wanting to people that are closest to you just to notice you, the pain of trying to get your father to notice you, the pain of someone to tell you that they loved you. I'm, is that just me? It's almost like Jesus, the one who came to be the deliverer of the pain, the deliverer of anxiety, wasn't seen by the people who knew him. And Jesus finds himself with his disciples in this town, Nazareth, and they traveled about geographically 25 miles from where they were back to this hometown. And they're taking the show that's been on a road back home to a small town. The only reason we know the name of Nazareth is because Jesus put it on the map. So they're going back home. And don't you know, Jesus' disciples are excited. They've seen everything that Jesus was doing. They heard the words come out of his mouth. They are going back to Jesus' hometown. The people are going to go crazy at what they see Jesus can do. They are going to be over the top at what Jesus has become. They are going back home. Bieber is going back to Canada. Rocky is going back to Philly. Brady is coming back to Gillette. Jesus is going back home. Football's back. Amen. And Jesus is preaching, having a conversation. It seems to be that the people were amazed 
at his miracles, at his words. Look at Jesus. They were amazed. But this is where when I read the Bible, sometimes I have questions. But something switched and they started to reject Jesus. And my question is, how did we get here? What happens from amazement to rejection? Did they take him for granted? Did they take Jesus for granted? Was it hard for them to see Jesus for who he claimed to be? Was it because he was just familiar to them? Because he grew up with them? Did they allow Jesus's power? Did they allow these miracles to become trapped because of familiarity? Jesus came to Nazareth full of healing. He came with resurrection power, full of blind eye opening power, deaf ear opening power, lame to walk, blind to see power. And all that power shows up at once in a little town like Nazareth. And Jesus didn't lose any of that power on his 25 mile journey. It seems like to me that as I'm reading this, the people lost their perspective of what Jesus can do for them. And I wonder, because I know me and I know my questions and my doubts, if we ever lose perspective, because I know I do, because remember for those who say, I follow the person and principles of Jesus, those people, remember when you met Jesus, you loved it and you were grateful. Remember when you gave Jesus those hurts, you felt free. It feels good to be forgiven. It feels good to be free. It feels good to have Jesus. You remember that, don't you? Remember when, when you started to serve, it felt good. Remember when you became a part of something bigger than yourself. You remember when you were investing in others, but some of us are just like this town. It only takes a couple of weeks and we are back to what we were doing in our regularly scheduled routine because we look at what's familiar to us again and we stop looking at Jesus for who he is. And power came to Nazareth. It seemed trapped. Where did this man get these things? They didn't deny his power. What's this wisdom that has been given? They didn't deny his wisdom. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They didn't deny his miracles. They didn't doubt it, but they despised him. Why? is that? What did he do? What is with this town to make them reject? Because he looked like one of them? Isn't that just the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's boy? Remember he grew, remember he grew up around? Listen, it wasn't what he did that they doubted. It was where he came from. Well, where did he come from, Johnny? He grew up in Nazareth. He was one of them. He can't be special. He's one of us. What would make them think like that? What was it about Nazareth that had them trapped in this mindset? I think I can get us the help we need to answer this question. Let's ask Nathaniel. Who's Nathaniel? Let's find out together because Nathaniel and his perspective and his answer that we will read gives us the entire perspective of this situation at hand. In John chapter 1, and I'm so glad God gives us four perspectives of, of Jesus' life, and they don't go against each other, but they build each other up. And Nathaniel here in his answer in John chapter 1 helps us answer this question. Why were these people so offended? Why were they trapped in this mindset? What was it about Jesus? Was it Jesus? What was it about Nazareth? This town, John chapter 1 helps us answer that. There had to be something to push away the only one who can heal. There had to be something who could push the only one away that could restore and set free. What was it about 
Nazareth to push Jesus away. And Nathaniel, he's going to help us out. And he doesn't get a lot of speaking parts in the Bible. So let's listen closely. It's very uncommon that Nathaniel speaks, but he says one thing that this entire conversation we are having is based upon of why God, why God cannot do what he wants to do in my life, in your life. Because when Philip comes to find Nathaniel, Philip, he's all excited. He's ready. Let's go. And this is when Jesus is attracting the crowds. And this is when he's starting his ministry, when he was getting going, when he was finally pouring into this team of disciples that we talked about. And Philip comes running up to his dog, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, let's go. Let me tell you about this man I just met. And Philip comes running up to Nathaniel because sometimes when you discover the love of Jesus and what he has done for you and I, the first thing you want to do is bring people with you so he can be discovered by our friends. So Philip runs and finds his homie from day one, Nathaniel, because sometimes when God gets a hold of you, you will do anything short of sin to get people to come with you. And Philip was on it, and he just needed Nathaniel to come and see. And let's, let's, let's read it. Let's read about it. And this is John chapter 1, verses 43, and it says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, Philip, what's up, dog? Come and follow me. Philip was from Bethesda, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel, and he told him, Nathaniel, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph. from Nazareth. Where's he from again? Nazareth. And watch this. Stay with me. That Nathaniel's reaction helped me to understand why, why the people of this town and people like myself, why we resist Jesus, why they question him and instead missed an opportunity for life change. See, it helped me to understand why I tend to push people away from myself sometimes. And it helped me to understand why sometimes I reject the love other people are trying to give me, why I reject the love Jesus tries to give to me. But that's really level stuff because there's something I'm rejecting that's underneath. Because when Philip came and said, we found him, Nathaniel was all excited. It says Nathaniel exclaimed. We're going to read that together. He was giddy. Has anyone ever been giddy? Let me tell you about giddy. Listen, I try to eat healthy. I really do. But there's one day I go to town, and that's called cheat day. It's, it is the thing. Cheat day is the thing. I will go to sleep giddy. I'm ready. I wake up giddy. I will shower giddy. I will live my whole entire morning just giddy, knowing it's about to, I will spend more time looking for what I'm going to eat than actually eating. Giddy. Nathaniel was giddy. He was excited. It's here at this moment. It's here at this moment. It changes. Because Philip followed it up with where Jesus is from. Where's he from? Jesus of Nazareth. Let's hear Nathaniel's response in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nazareth exclaimed Nathaniel, Can anything, can anything, can anything good 
come from Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see for yourself. Nazareth, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Philip, we've been friends since, don't lie, don't be lying to me. Don't, Nazareth, let me do this in my best AI voice. Practice, practice. You're talking about Nazareth? Not Nazareth. You see, I thought the people rejected Jesus at first because they maybe doubted him or that they were just familiar with Jesus. But now I think the reason they rejected Jesus is because they were actually rejecting themselves. Apparently, Nazareth had a reputation. Come on now, word can spread. Something happens in the... Nazareth had a reputation because the first thing Nathaniel said was nothing good can come from there, can it? That's, that's how I feel about myself sometimes, you know? Because I know me. I know my regrets. I know my mistakes. I know my doubts. I know me. Do you know who you are? When they took offense at Jesus, I had questions. I couldn't get it at first. I was even a little bit angry, but then I realized they weren't rejecting Jesus. Nazareth had a reputation. It was this backwoods town. Nazareth wasn't on anybody's bucket list. You weren't snapping selfies in Nazareth. You weren't planning vacations to pick a pit stop in Nazareth. They probably talked a little funny there. It wasn't a very religious place. Jesus came from us? I don't know about that. It wasn't that they couldn't believe what Jesus did. It wasn't that they couldn't believe who he claimed to be, the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. They just couldn't believe that he came from them. Because, well, you might have heard this morning, but nothing good comes from Nazareth. His miracles to them were remarkable. But when they tried to reconcile the fact that he was one of them with what he was doing, they couldn't come to terms with the fact that something good can come from us. And when you have a view of yourself that has been shaped and distorted day after day, and when you have a view of yourself that has been shaped and distorted week after week, and when you have a view of yourself that has been shaped and distorted year after year from stereotypes and generalizations and from failures, there comes a point when you start to believe to you that you keep telling yourself you are, that nothing good can come from me, can it? From Nazareth? And some of you were right there, trapped in Nazareth, because some of you, and just like me, have some stuff in our past, and it wasn't your fault. You didn't ask for it, you didn't want it, and you didn't need it. But just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it hasn't been your prison. And this room is filled, if I could be so bold to say, with people just like me, with hearts and minds weighed down by doubt and failure and shame, and mom's not there, and the regret we keep holding, and the diagnosis didn't go our way. Can somebody just tell me I'm beautiful? Can anything good actually come from me? And we fill our lives with these things that shape our future and tell us what it can and cannot be. There's some of us just like me who become the byproduct of your parents' failed relationship or divorce, and it happened here. It happened years ago, but here you are, Johnny, still dealing with it today, stuck in Nazareth. Can anything good actually come from Jesus? 
Jesus came from us? And they were amazed at first. There are parts of us that want to believe in God. There are some of us that there, there are parts of us that actually want to trust in Jesus who loves you and is for you. But when you try to reconcile the fact of his greatness with our reality, we start to feel like Nazareth and we push people away and we push Jesus away. And for some of us who say we follow the person and principles of Jesus, it's not like we don't believe in who he is. It's that we just can't believe something good can actually come from us. And there's so much I should have done and so much I shouldn't have done, and I, and I made some mistakes, and okay, you're telling me this morning, Johnny, that, that God loves me, that he has a purpose for me, that Jesus is a healer, and he wants to call me a friend, and he wants to tell me I'm forgiven, and it's not him and his power who's in question here today, it's me, and I just feel like I'm stuck in Nazareth. Can anything good actually come from me? And I could be wrong, I'm wrong a lot. Ask my wife, I promise you. But I think some of you are just like me. And you feel trapped by pain. And you've been trapped by lies. And you've been trapped by hurt. And if you're anything like me, you do what's 100% absolutely reasonable. You try to escape. And listen, I get it. I understand it, and honestly, it makes sense. I'm with you and I'm here, but I'm here to tell you, whatever your escape is, Jesus offers more. Whatever your escape is, God has more for you. And I'm not trying to tell you that what you do is wrong, but what I am just trying to tell you is I've already tried it, and it doesn't end well. I've been there, and it doesn't end well. It ends with pain, and it ends with regret. And it ends with a broken family. I've been there. And I'm just trying to tell you that what Jesus has to offer is freedom and purpose. And I just want to tell you about the real you. Speak close. Who, who God thinks you are. That there really is a God with a love so big, so deep, so wide, so expansive, so inclusive. Give me what you have, son. And he's calling out and wants to pull you out of Nazareth and give you something better in return every single time. He wants to do something in your life and he's inviting you into a new future if you let him. It is about the only one who can do what only he can do, the savior of our sins. And his name really is Jesus of Nazareth. And he is the king of kings. And I want you to know today that Jesus is point blank period proof that something good does come out of Nazareth. Something good is inside you. God is calling you out and he does have a purpose for you and he wants to give you life and give it to you in a full. And he wants to take the pain, take the regret and take the hurts. And he's inviting you to live a better future. But Johnny, I've messed up. I'm with you. I've been there. I've been there so many times. And I'm sick of failing. And I'm sick of being hurt. And my home life's a mess. And I feel like all I do is make, can we circle back to the beginning? Who is the real you. Nazareth was face to face with the only one possible of bringing them into life and bring it in.
them into this life that was full and they resisted because of how they thought about themselves that nothing good can really come from me can it nothing good can actually come from us and today i would just like to gently bring you face to face with jesus this morning to accept his love his peace his kindness and mercy that right where you are is exactly who god loves and this morning he wants to call you into the new a new future a new hope, a new life, because the real you is beautiful, and the real you has purpose, and the real you is a friend, and the real you is brave. This is the way to see yourself the way God sees you. This is the way that God gently and kindly reminds us over and over again who we are in the Bible, who we are in Scripture from His perspective, because He knows that we will always live in a way that's consistent with how we see our ourselves. And he wants to remind you this morning that you are loved, you are called, and you are worthy. And God loves you so much that while we were still sinners, that he sent Jesus to die for you. And God wants you to get yourself to see you the way he sees you, confident and beautiful and purpose-filled. And he wants you to live in a way that's consistent with how he sees you, not what you've been seeing when you look in the mirror. This morning, as we close, there is good inside of you. There is purpose to be grabbed. There is a life to be lived. And just within these few short sentences, I would like to gently invite you ever so bravely, whether it be today or this week, to give Jesus a chance. And just as Peter said to Nathaniel, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, but I would invite you to just come and see for yourself. Would you pray with me this morning, church? God, thank you. Thank you for Cape Cod Church, and thank you for people who volunteer God every week and to do an amazing, amazing things as we love on our community. And thank you that you just use imperfect people to do awesome things. And thank you that you love us. And thank you that we don't have to live a life the way, the, the way we think of ourselves. And we can live our life and be confident as we rest on what you say about us, God. And thank you that you don't just love us, but that you actually prove it. And you say that while we were sinners and while we still have doubt and while we still have questions and while we still have hurts and pains and while we still have these, that you still send Jesus to die for us, God. And let us be able to discover that, God, as we just live a confident life knowing who we are because of you, God. And that if we've never made that step to meet Jesus, God, that may be this morning, that that might be a little scary and we don't know what the next page holds, but we can trust in a good Heavenly Father who always has better waiting for us. When we give Him our doubts and our burdens, we give Him our pains and our regrets. We thank you, God. And we give you alone praise because you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.